Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas, and it is time for our annual Best Books of the Year episode. This year, we are joined by Andrew Limbong, who is the host of the wonderful NPR podcast, Book of the Day. He hails from Brooklyn and is also one of NPR's Arts Desk reporters, covering all things arts and culture. Andrew is here to share his top five books of 2022, and I'll be revealing my picks as well. And in the end, we'll have our final top 10 books of 2022. Listen to us unpack our favorites, share trends we saw in 2022, and things we're looking forward to in 2023. Don't forget, our December book club selection is True Biz by Sarah Novich. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, December 28th with Greta Johnson. Everything we talk about on each episode of The Stacks can be found in the link in the show notes. And if you love the show and want more of it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join The Stacks Pack. The Stacks is an independent podcast, which means I rely on listeners like you to make the show possible week in and week out. You still have a few more weeks to get The Stacks reading tracker. We're going to be sharing that with folks all the way until January 31st, 2023. So if you want a place to track all of your reading, have it be completely customizable and private so you don't have to worry about other people judging your star rating. Head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack, get your tracker and other awesome perks like bonus episodes, our virtual book club, our discord discounts on merch, all of that good stuff. I'd like to take a quick second to give a shout out to our newest member of the stacks pack, Megan Berkovian. And thank you, of course, to every single member of the stacks pack. All right. Now it's time for the best books of 2022 with Andrew Limbong. All right, everybody. I am so excited today. I am joined by Andrew Limong, who is the host of NPR's Book of the Day podcast. I brought in the big guns because (laughs) Andrew has a book of every single day. So if he doesn't know the best books of the year, who does? Andrew, welcome (laughs) to the stack. Hey, what's up? What's up? What's up? How are you doing, Tracy? I'm good. I'm so glad you're here. Yeah. Um, Let me give people just a quick expect set some expectations around today's episode. This is, I think, our fifth year doing this, which means Andrew and I are going to go back and forth. We each have picked five of our favorite books of this year. We're going to share them with you. We don't know each other's picks. We're going to have a good time. These are our favorite books of the year. So if they're not your favorite books of the year, that's okay. 
these are just what Andrew and I love. Um, so with that being said, Andrew, will you just tell the people a little bit about yourself? And I'd love to know a little bit about how Book of the Day came to you. Yeah, so um, I started at NPR. I've been at NPR for a minute. I started as an intern on All Things Considered back in like 2011. Oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm one of the rare people that have has has had the great great luck of like staying in a decent like place of employment for for a decent amount of time in media, and yeah. so yeah, I, I was at All Things Considered, and then I worked at this show called Tell Me More, um, which was a daily talk show. That was the place where I really cut my teeth, and then that show got canceled in 2014, 13, 2013, 2014, somewhere around there, uh, and then I started working at what's now called the Culture Desk. First as a producer, um, and then I eventually worked my way up to become a reporter. And yeah, so the Book of the Day podcast is interesting. It is a um, a compendium of the author interviews that all the hosts in the building do. Um, yeah. And so they do like off your own. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like trying to say that. It's it's hard to keep track of all the author interviews that we do in this yeah. building. You know, <laughs> so you know what many. I mean. <laughs> and so and it's it's like and you know I'll be like looking at our backgrounds like oh we talked to them. Oh, word, we had them on? When was it? You know what I mean? And it's just like yeah. easy, you know, easy to miss. Um, and so we've been trying to think about how to how to do a sustainable podcast uh, on books at NPR for a while. And I think um, this was the best way to do it. And so like it is a every week, every day of the week, um, you get a different host interview from a different book. Um, sometimes, you know, it'll be like the the latest releases, you know, like the buzzy books of the day. Um, my favorite episodes are when we go back into the archives, right? Like mm. for, for whatever reason, we'll dig back into like an interview from the nineties or an interview from the eighties. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because I, I find those interviews so illuminating and like, <laughs> I was about to say like, as I get older, you know, <laughs> so, <laughs> as I'm aging, you know, that adage about like history rhyming, right? Like things sort of just like repeat and like right. you, on the one hand, it's like illuminating. It's like, oh we've been here before and like this is how this is handled da, da, da. but then on the other hand it's like oh bro we're still not over this we're still <laughs> you know what i mean right we've been, we've been right. at this for decades and no 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 um and so yeah those those are my favorite um interviews i think i love that how did it how did you get to be the person who hosts this show so when the producers were um dummying stuff up around like you know getting a proof of concept together um, I just ha- was in like the right place and right time to be. They were like, "Hey, can you just like throw some tracks on these real quick uh, to see if it sounds good?" And I was like, "Okay." Uh, Got it. And then as as that process kept going, right? So there were like one pilot and another pilot, and I, and I um, as they did more, I kept like putting more of my own like voiciness onto the the copy, mm-hmm. um, and they seemed to like it enough that uh, I got the gig. I love that. Yeah. And are you are have you always been a book person? <laughs> So my original plan was to be a uh, English professor. Oh my gosh! Um, that was so yeah. That so was, the answer is yes. Yeah, the, yeah, the answer is yes. <laughs> I mean, not really. I think of it like when you're just like always. There was like you know I did play PlayStation a lot as a kid, and my ma- my okay, mom had sure, to like sure. drag me into my room and like force me to read. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, but yeah, the the whole goal was to be a, a an English professor. Uh, specifically, I wanted to be like the Faulkner scholar. You know what? I mean? oh, um, yeah, like wow. I was like I was like I want to be. You know the, the preeminent William Faulkner scholar of, of you know <laughs> oh world, right? Uh, you, you know the the pay for that is uh, 
Can't not, be great. The, yeah, the, yeah. The market, the market for Faulkner scholars not popping off these days. Yeah, I I would imagine that it's not the same as like yeah. I don't know. I I don't know what market is popping off, but I know yeah. it's not the, the, the Faulkner, Faulkner corner scholar. of the world. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And what kind of reader? Like, how would you describe your reading taste so people can kind of understand as you pick your top five books? Like, what is it about a book that that speaks to you, or what do you love about? What what makes a book something that you love? You know what's funny? I, w- I was thinking about what my tastes usually are, and I'm looking at my the list that I have um, this this year. Generally speaking, my taste in books. I'm actually I'll be real, like my taste in like movies, TV shows, books. You know, are yeah. are like someone is sad. They okay. go on they go on a journey thinking that that'll fix it, and then it doesn't. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's like the general, like just, I love this. Yeah, someone was like, "Huh, <laughs> I'm bummed out. Let me let me try this dumbass thing." And then yeah. they're like, "Huh, that didn't fix it. I wonder why not." You know what I mean? I didn't do any of the bother doing any internal work to fix it whatsoever, and I'm so bummed out. Oh my god, I love that. That's a genre that I'm I'm a little bit into. Yeah, I, I can appreciate. I love a sad moment. When you just said sad, I was like, "Great, we we're gonna be able to pull this off." Because <laughs> yeah. some years I have people who are like, "I love a romance," and I'm like, "We're gonna have nothing to talk about for the next hour." So yeah, um, not that I don't love romance. I just love all things sad. Like all my favorite romances are like distressed woman like uh-huh. having a terrible time at life uh-huh. and then, and then like, maybe this love. relationship will fix it yeah, yeah. It and like you know i love a happy ending every <laughs> once in a while but if it's like happy-go-lucky woman like just looking for love i'm like no thank you not uh-huh. interested yeah <laughs> um and so in general in 2022 did you have any like thoughts about this year in books anything that stuck out to you good or bad about the year so I got to shout out the like NPR has this thing called Books We Love, right? Which is like the uh-huh. sort of compendium of like yes. this year. It's like 400 plus 400 books. books. Yeah, it, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> and I was just like looking at that and like listening to a lot of the author interviews that we've done. Um, we there's there's been a lot of like generational family books. I feel like mm. this year there's been a lot of that stuff about like, you know, oh, my dad screwed me up. And then like the dad being like, Oh yeah, my grandma really, really did a number on me. You know what I mean? You just find out (laughs) about like the general trauma. Yeah. All that. I feel like that's been a big thing uh, this year from, from like a taste, you know, just like looking at books, media. I don't know about you. I feel like, is there no, at least on the fiction side, because I feel like on the nonfiction side, there's like a clear heater of the year. Uh, mm-hmm. Which we may or may not be on the, your list. Who, oh, I'm I don't curious know. what I'm curious what you um, think that book is. We'll save it. We'll yeah. see if I hit it. But I feel like there's no like heater on the, in the fiction world, right? Yeah. So my so my big takeaway from this year, and I hate to be an asshole, but it's part of who I am. Uh-huh. Is I thought this was not a great year. In books. It's a down year. Yeah. And I think that like part of the reason that the NPR list is 400 books was because it was sort of just like every book was equally like good. But mm-hmm. there weren't as many standouts. And so mm-hmm. I feel like it was harder to like narrow down a list. But also the NPR list has been growing and growing. I went back and looked and it was like 215 books like five years ago. And now uh, it's like 406 <laughs> books. I was like, whoa. But I do yeah. think that there's like something. I just think it's sort of like a like the books are all good, but nothing felt like a huge standout to me, except for I do have one nonfiction book that I thought was 
above and beyond. And uh-huh. I'm wondering if this is the book that you're thinking of. So yeah. we'll see. I'm going to write this. Um, Hang on. I'm going to write it down. And then, okay. and then... We'll, we'll, we'll reveal. Um, but yeah, it was sort of like, a, especially on the fiction side for me, like I'm not a huge fiction person. I do prefer nonfiction, but I didn't find... I only found one fiction book this year that I really loved mm-hmm. and that was a sad for me. But yeah, sort of a like a solid year but not an exemplary year if you will. Mm-hmm. It's like you know how like last year like I there's a I'm in, I'm in Baltimore and like I go to a handful of bookstores and they all had like like detransition baby like on the shelf, you know what yes. I mean? Like that was yes. like the thing on the special. And like I feel like there's and, you know, maybe this isn't indicative of anything other than just, like, bookstores now have different tastes. But I feel like there is no, like, one common book that I've seen yeah. at the stores that just have, like, the the one book that they're trying to, you know? Yeah, like, no consensus. I agree. And Detransition Baby did make our top ten last year. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> thought it was I remember fantastic. Correctly, it was the one that was, like, on all of your lists, right? Or Yeah. It, yeah. All three of us. Yeah, all three of us agreed that it was, like, the book that we all loved. Yeah. I do think there's no consensus. I mean... New York Times, they released their, you know, top 10 books this year. And it was so interesting because I don't think any of their top 10 books were finalists for the National Book Award this year, which Mm -hmm. is so rare. Like that just shows there's just no consensus and everyone was sort of like pulling. Not that those two organizations are like the only two, but But usually there's some overlap. Like last year, I know... um, Love Songs of W.E.B. Du Bois was on there. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure Clint Smith's book was on both of those. Mm-hmm. Like, there's usually some consensus about, like, good books. But this year feels like, who knows? So that's going to be really fun for our list because who knows? <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. um, well, now, okay. do you think that oh, is because ahead. it's it's a down year or is that... Like, I, I, I wonder... because a down year, but I also think that the New York Times is obsessed with being, like, a kingmaker. And yeah. I... I don't I don't know this to be true, but if their list this year felt like we're going to pick our own books and like see how many people buy them and love them and like show how powerful we are. Like Uh it just really felt like one of those lists to me, not to shit on any of those books, but just like the way that it was so out of left field. I felt like their list this year. Usually I, I have a sense. And when I see their list, I'm like, yeah. Sure. And this year I was like, what is happening? (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people felt that way. Yeah. No, definitely. Definitely. So I don't know. I I think it's a combination of maybe not having like clear favorites and also the New York Times, New York times <laughs> as they are wanting to do. Yeah. Um, coming for okay, you, I, Times. Oh, coming yeah, for you. Yeah, <laughs> we're coming. We're coming. Watch out. Yeah. Um, ready to fight. Are you ready to do this? Uh, yeah. Okay. I'm going to let you start because you're a guest. So why don't you tell me your first? And this is not in any order, everyone. This is just... We're going one for one. So I will say go ahead and tell my, me your first. my last one. I'll say my last one because that one's like the one with the number one with the bullet in my. In okay. My, okay. Sorry. Then I'll I... do my number one. I'll do my number one also last. Okay. Yeah. Um, all right. Yeah. So my first every everything else, by the way, is like jumbled around. Um, so okay. it's not ranked otherwise. Um, yeah. I think the the first book I'll pick is uh, Lapvona by Otessa Moshveg. Okay. Yeah. It's a, it's a it's about like a little um, peasant boy. Um, from in the poor uh, fictional medieval village of Lapvona, this boy named Marek finds his way sort of adopted into the the royal family uh, of the village. It is, I know, Maj Fagheads probably know her from a year of rest and relaxation. For my money, it's, it's better. I think it's. Oh. A, I think it's more interesting. Like the world, the world, literally, like the world is bigger. Like the the cast of uh-huh. characters is bigger, right? You get you get more textures from the different you know families and people and players in the game, um, and it's also her like. <laughs> th- this part is like I think 
been hit on a lot, um, but it makes sense that it's like she's she's firing at all cylinders in her grossness writing, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mm-hmm. think reading reading some reviews, uh, it was too a bit too much for people. And right. I think you know there was that one big New York Mag article about the <laughs> battery that came out in the middle of the year. Um, but I I just found it so funny, like her her gross out writing. It was. I don't, I don't, it wasn't like, um, it wasn't gratuitous, right? It wasn't like I was watching Saw or something like that. Right. But it was like, it reminds me of like, you know how sometimes they're, they're like when Tarantino, like Quentin Tarantino like shoots like food and then yes. they'll be like, when like a, like a fork goes into like the cake, you can feel the right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you get the, like, you get the goosebumps? Like on really the sensory, yeah. like grotesque a little bit. Yes, that's what that, that's what reading this book reminds me of. Oh my um, God, I love that description. Yeah, it's, it's yeah. <laughs> and oh so. God. I've never yeah. read any of her books. Oh, really? No, I, I, that gross is not for me. And I feel like I've heard that it's like gross and weird and I'm not like uh, a super weird reader. Yeah. No, I think yeah. I'm 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 curious what people you know because she's like she's like low key book talk famous um for right. for a certain type of person, and I haven't. It's been interesting when when the book came out. I thought I'd see more about it from that crowd, but mm-hmm. I don't know if like my algorithm has like led me away to it. But I haven't seen that much chatter about it on um on the on the book talk you know realm that you know wears my year of rest and relaxation like proudly on their sleeve. Which is yeah, right. it's a, it's an interesting sort of reaction to it. I have a theory about book talk that it, the book has to have come out in paperback. Oh, uh huh. That's interesting. I feel like I feel like book talk is like late on books. Like it's so rare that they're like really up on a brand new book, and that's why it's like a lot of, like book like Circe or whatever. It's like mm-hmm. it's been out for a while. You can get it in paperback. It's more accessible. You're not spending thirty five dollars on it. You're spending like eighteen. And I feel like there's something about it having been in the zeitgeist a little bit and mm. then TikTok book talk picks it up and it like goes viral. So maybe it's coming. Yeah, that's interesting. I do wonder if there's been I'd love to hear from a publicist if there's been an increase in like arc spending on book talk creators. You know what I mean? Oh, like sending arcs that way. Yeah. I definitely know that they do a lot more marketing in that direction because uh-huh. I I am in the Instagram space and I have seen a lot more like link to your book talk and like that kind of stuff. Oh, uh-huh. And I know that they are spending money over there. There was like some New York Times article about book talk. I don't know. I have a lot that we should do a whole episode on book talk because I have a lot of questions and thoughts about it. But you're so, um, as like a as like a bookstagram person, you're like I feel like you're like smoking a cigarette. Like I've been here before. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, that's exactly how I feel. I'm like I'm an old hand, been in yeah. these streets pushing books. Yeah. But I do feel like Instagram is much more new books, and book talk is much more older backlist titles, oh, like new backlist, but not like. You know, it's like they were obsessed with a little life. I'm like, yeah, I read mm-hmm. that like seven years ago. Yeah, get with, <laughs> you know, yeah. like been there, done that, <laughs> cried over Jude. Everybody, you're not new. Yeah, I um, mean, it could be like that crowd is like just turned like 22 and like are now emotionally yeah. ready to be to handle. I mean, like I don't know if I'm even still emotionally ready to handle that book again. Have you read it? <laughs> yeah, I, would never I, read it again. I, I have complicated feelings about it. So do I. So it's... many. Oh, yeah, we should do a whole episode on that too. Yeah. Um, okay, I'm gonna go with my first pick. Well, not first pick, but just the first book I'm sharing. I'm going to go with His Name is George Floyd by uh, Mm. Robert Samuels and Toulouse Olunuripa. I was super not wanting to read this book at all when I saw it because I was like, this is going to be some fucking 
fake Black Lives Matter power grab bullshit um, Mm -hmm. coming from these journalists from the Washington Post, whatever. Mm -hmm. The book is so beautifully done. It's so detailed. I keep referring to it as the presidential treatment, but they give George Floyd the presidential treatment. They dig into his family history. They trace his family line back into slavery. They take like the many different facets of his life, like housing, obviously incarceration, education, and they tie his experiences to like the greater structures and systems in place in America. And they really like make his put his life in perspective and make it make sense how someone that none of us knew could become such a catalyst for so many people. Mm -hmm. And they they render him so beautifully. Like I genuinely was upset when he was killed because I was like, I'm really sad. We're not going to get more of this person in this story. Like I, I missed him. I longed for him in a way that I was not expecting at all. Um, and I think that in addition to the actual like writing and storytelling being really well done and they interviewed like 400 people and they talked to his family and his friends and his, you know, high school football coach and, They also do a similar thing with um, Derek Chauvin, where they dig into his family history and his history becoming a police officer and and like, you know, how he was trained and, and all of this stuff. But in addition to like all of that, for them to push back against, I think, a lot of people's preconceived notions about what the book would be, like how I was very apprehensive about it. They really like proved me wrong in a way that I was like, I respect this book so much because that was really hard to do. And I really didn't want to read this. So I was really taken by this book. I'm so glad it exists for people who have read Invisible Child by Andrea Elliott. It is a similar kind of book where they use George Floyd as sort of like the center, but they explore all these different American systems. And it's just it's really well done. Yeah, I'm glad. So yeah, I haven't read it because I now now no longer was like apprehensive about yeah you know there's there's something like uncomfortable to me about like when sometimes people become like symbols for a greater thing and then by by you know that way they get like kind of like dehumanized and it feels there's something like icky i don't know uncomfortable totally i get like so totally you know squigged out about it um but it's nice to know that this i feel like this i'm hearing that this does the opposite of that yeah, I, I literally, the only reason I picked it up is because it was on the long list for the National Book Award. And I was like, I'm going to read all the long lists for nonfiction this year. Oof, and then yeah. I picked it up and I was like, wow, I I felt like an asshole because I was like, don't judge a book by its cover. I judge it by two words in the title. Like I was like, George <laughs> Floyd, it's going to suck. No, it's so good. And if you're going into it and you're feeling like, I don't want to read it. I, I'm with you. I was with you then. I see it. And I will say, like, for me, the worst part of, not the worst part, but the part of the book that I liked the least was actually, like, the trial and the stuff that I knew. Because yeah. you, the first two thirds of the book, it's like, you don't know any of this. You don't know anything about, we didn't know anything about this man. Like, he was a stranger to so, like, to, to generally everybody besides the handful of people who knew him. And, like, getting to know him and learn about him and you know, they trace his family back to slavery and like not just his family, but the family that owned his family. Like they find out who the people were who owned his like great, great grandfather. Like it's just incredibly researched and detailed. And so I just really loved it. So that's my first one. Um, go- Andrew's turn. <laughs> well, I guess this is, yeah, I'll, I'll do a little switcheroo here. Not on, oh. switcheroo, on the list. Um, because no, you said that like, when, when you said that you were apprehensive about reading it, well, a book that's on my list is called um, Elite Capture. Um, How the Powerful Took Over Identity Politics and Everything Else um, by Olufemi Otaiwo. Um, 
it's like a it's like a philosophy book. It's a pretty it's a pretty slim read. Um, but the the central argument is about how you know elites can use the language of oppression to further their own goals at the mm-hmm. expense of people who are oppressed. And I feel like this hap it's happened a lot since 2020 you know yeah <laughs> you know what I mean? a lot i do <laughs> and 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 it's happened a lot through history and and i think you know one of the, one of the arguments in the book is that like it's not like some grand conspiracy that this happens it's just sort of like the natural flow of things right it's how mm-hmm. things have always happened and it's like just being aware of it um can help us just sort of like see the patterns a little bit more and once you sort of see the patterns you're like oh yeah oh yeah huh interesting right and like it, and it's everything from like that's innocuous like i read it earlier this year and then <laughs> real talk because it is such a like a slim book i like it got lost sort of both in the bookshelf of my mind and my literal like <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what i mean uh but i thought about it I, what, what i thought about it recently because what, some dumb tweet i got mad at <laughs> oh it was That's because every day oh it was because um um there there was some there was some like film drama and like simu Liu, the actor who plays shang chi was like it's like say what you will about you know marvel but you know diversity and yada 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 right and it's like okay that's true but like what are we doing <laughs> come on right. you know what i mean like come right. on guys wait wait wait, wait, wait. Like we're gonna like make Kevin Feige the the sort of standard bearer of of right people like of a Disney company is like yeah. the the diversity and inclusion capital of the country yeah and it's like no shots at him and no shots at Marvel but I'm just like I was like come on are we what are we doing guys are we right in the book is it is it like people who are using you know the language and the rallying cries of oppressed groups in a good faith way or is it people who are doing it in a bad faith no, way or all, is it both it's i think it's mostly bad faith way okay um, so it's and, like the like transformation of woke kind of thing yeah yeah but it, it uses like historical examples from like the past to and then all the way through the present um okay. and so so then you can sort of see the patterns it's like oh yeah this is uh this isn't this ain't a new playbook it's just like is it's just like showing you the playbook Oh my god, that sounds so good. It's been on my list, so now I'm gonna bump it up. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, my next pick was a Stacks Book Club pick this year, and it is Shine Bright by Danielle Smith, which is the a the subtitle is a very personal history of black women in pop. And Danielle Smith, it's sort of her memoir meets the bi- like mini biographies of all sorts of black women in pop from Whitney Houston to Aretha Franklin to um mm-hmm. Janet Jackson, Gladys Knight. She ha- does a thing on like the on Diana Ross and the Supremes, and she touches on all this, in- all these incredible women. And I just love this book because it like felt nice to read, even though there's a lot of like heavy stuff and abuse and erasure and all this stuff. It's just like beautifully written and and it was joyful. And one of the members of the Stacks Pack made a full playlist of every song mentioned in the book and I listen to it all the time rocks, it's like yeah. hours and hours and it's just like for people who love pop culture it's it's the way to write about pop culture you know like it's the way to take these things seriously and it's a really it's an incredible playbook for people who are thinking about writing and talking about pop culture is like she mixes her own story with these other women and like get t- makes them serious and not just like Whitney Houston did crack, right? Like she like really <laughs> mm-hmm. seriously contemplates what that means and what that looks like and the relationship with Bobby Brown and how that's tied to Aretha Franklin. And it's just, it's an incredible book and 
it makes me happy. Like it's one of the few books that I've read that I'm like, I love this book and I want to just squeeze it and hug it and share it with people. So that's one that I yeah, love. That's on my, so I like reading, I go on a, like a yearly camping trip and on that mm. book and on those, I usually bring like my uh, like collection of essays and criticisms like that mm-hmm. I want to read. So like, mm-hmm. I think last year, I think last year I bought the Hanif Durki book. Uh, uh, one of my which, favorites from last oh, year. Boy, that book. I have like, so I have like, like literally remember like, me like getting sunburned on like and I was like just like reading it and be like I should move but I'm in the middle of this chapter right now and so right. I'll just eat this <laughs> but yeah, but yeah like, that's... I'm gonna take this sunburn with me because yeah. I have to keep reading about <laughs> yeah exactly yeah. yeah no but uh, but this Danielle Smith book is definitely like I I saw it and I saw like people like talking about it and it's like oh yeah that's that's gonna be like this year's camping book oh good oh yeah I hope you love it mm-hmm. okay uh, actually let's take a quick break and then we'll be right back. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Okay, we're back. Andrew, Yo. your third book. Uh, my third book is this book called Luda by Grant Morrison. Uh, I don't Gr- know that. Yeah, so Grant Morrison is, uh, they're, they're mostly known as a comic book writer. 
Um, I grew up, I, I used to read like their X-Men books. Uh, they, they wrote a pretty popular Superman run. Um, my, I was obsessed with this graphic novel they wrote called We Three. Um, okay. About these like animals that got turned into like weapons of mass destruction by the American government. You know, you know, like, oh, you like, light like fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally sounds actually like something I would love. Yeah. Um, but this is their first novel and it's about this uh, aging drag artist who um, gets sort of seduced, goaded into sort of mentoring a, a younger ingenue, right, as part Ooh. of another, another, another younger drag artist uh, as a part of their pantomime company. Um, it's packed with, like, dick jokes, right? And mm-hmm. there's, like a, like, a dick joke at every page. If so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> if that's not your thing, like, be, beware, right? Okay. Um, yeah. Because, you know, it's, it's told through this perspective of, like, um, Lucy LeBang, the main character, they're they're like doing their makeup and like telling you the story, right? And so okay. it, it sounds a lot like that. I think it's it's a little there's a lot of different ideas and it's, you know, admittedly I think like kinda hard to follow sometimes. Um, but it I think it makes up for that with it with its humor. Um and I, I just think it's like such a fun ride. I love that. That sounds so fun. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit like drag queen meets hacks, the TV yeah. show. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love hacks, so I'm interested. Yeah. Okay, my next pick is a weird one for me. Not weird, but just a uh, not normal. I've never picked a poetry collection before. Ah. But this year, I am picking Alive at the End of the World by Saeed Jones. Mm. I loved this collection so, 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 so much. I I don't even... I'm one of those people that's like, I don't like poetry because I don't get it. And we've talked about poetry on the show many times and how I don't get it. And I'm supposed to just like not stress myself out. And if I get it, great. And if not, not. With this collection, I feel like I got it all. It's about <laughs> grief. It's about pop culture. It's about being black. It's about you know, the violence in America. It's about the end of the world. I mean, the first poem is about um, the Pulse nightclub shooting and Saeed recently shared it after the Club Q shooting because it is, uh, like you were saying before, still relevant. You know, Mm -hmm. these things cycle back through. But Saeed has a way with the darkest of dark things and humor and making those dark things feel somehow darker, but also like hilarious and very sad and awful and also like, clever and and I don't know I don't know how he does it it's obviously why he's a skilled poet and I am over here fumbling through my words about this book but I just I thought this collection was out of this world starting with the cover just like the most cool cover it's like a silver shiny mirror car and a person in a hot pink like jumpsuit pushing it or maybe it's an orange one I can't remember now but it's a bright color jumpsuit it's just like weird and cool and it makes so much sense and like the thing that's really special about this book is that it feels so 2022 like it just feels like all the pieces of the zeitgeist in 2022 are somehow in this book and obviously Hmm. Saeed was writing it prior to but the way that the collection is put together I'm just like this book is poster child 2022 chaos so yes love 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 do you think you're open to other poetry now? I mean, I so we read poetry on the show. Every year we do one poetry book. I've had poets on the podcast and I am open to poetry. I just, it doesn't always click for me. Like this one just like hit me 
hard. And last year I made a, I, I made a goal to read one poetry collection a month. So I did read, I ended up reading about 14 or 15 poetry collections last year. Mm-hmm. So like I definitely am try to stay open to poetry, but it feels like work. And this one did not like this one. There's a, been a handful of others that have hit me similarly, but I think like, as far as I'm concerned, this is the best poetry collection I've ever read. Not just this year. Oh, I mean, I've got, I've got a couple of poetry agnostics in my life that this yeah. Yeah. Their way. If they yeah. like pop culture, if they like dark humor, it's definitely for them. If they're looking for poetry to be like existential about like, I don't know, rivers and things, it's not gonna be for them. But like uh-huh. if they're into like if they're millennially kind of people, I think they'll fuck with <laughs> this book for sure. Nice. Okay, what do you have for me next? All right, my next book uh, is called Diary of a Void by oh. Emi Yagi. She's a, she's a Japanese writer. Um, I think this is her first book. She, she's usually, as I if I remember correctly, she's a like magazine editor there. This book is about a woman who, um, because she uh, she's like sort of like fed up doing the sort of unspoken labor around the office, you know, just like cleaning up mm-hmm. after the dudes taking notes at the meetings or whatever. Um, so she like pretends that she's pregnant <laughs> and she just like she's like yeah i'm pregnant and so like so they say yeah i can't clean up like the cigarette butts right because like i'm pregnant and it bothers my stomach and they're like oh okay uh and like all of a sudden like the the world like her world like changes um and so like people are like starting to like do things for her um and then it kind of gets fuzzy i think as to whether i i I think there's an argument to be made that maybe she starts believing it herself. You know what I mean? She starts mm-hmm. like like living the lie too hard, um, and as, as, I think it's just like a f- like a fascinatingly funny look at like gender and like norms and all that stuff. And it's one of those things that like because it takes place in Japan, she gets like a ton ton of like paid leave time, right? So she, mm. she you know uh, she then like goes goes off into the into the world of like mommy and me groups and and all that stuff. Um, and and so. And faces like this like sort of existential crisis about like motherhood and what motherhood means and what how motherhood connects with like femininity and like being a person and all of that stuff. Um, yeah, a lot of stuff to unpack there. But I love. Oh my god, that sounds so good. I feel like I don't know if this is just my experience of Japanese novels that have been like translated into English, but mm-hmm. I feel like there's so many that deal with unlikable women. Mm-hmm. Uh, I feel like I don't know if that those are just the ones that get picked to be translated or like the ones that have crossed my my desk. But I feel like what you're saying is like totally tracks with this like kind of novel. Like I'm thinking of like convenience store woman mm-hmm. um, is like a similar kind of like labor and Japanese women and like being unlikable and 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 I love it. I mean, I'm like very into an unlikable woman. Yeah, the, um, the main character of this book will sometimes be like kind of like shittily condescending to the other women and the mommy. It's like, calm down, dude. Like, relax. yeah, <laughs> they're just trying to take care of their kid like everyone else. And is this this is obviously like kind of satirical or like dark yeah. humor? Yeah, yeah, it is. Like, it is a very. I'm funny so book. excited you came on for this because you're putting so many books I've never even heard of on the list, which yeah. I'm thrilled, 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 thrilled about. This is awesome. Um, okay, my next pick. This is the only novel on my list this year, and it is The Swimmers by Julie Otsuka. Mm-hmm. It. Have you have you heard of this one? No, I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I can't say too much about it because it has a major twist in the book, and I do not want to spoil it. But I'll set up the premise as it was set up for me, um, which is basically a group of swimmers at like a community pool in an unnamed city in America swim, and they discover a crack at the bottom of the pool, and then they start to freak out. 
so that's the setup. It the book does a lot more than that. I promise you, if you're not into swimming, you're gonna be fine. Um, <laughs> this book is full of like real human dread, like <laughs> mm. the kind like the kinds of anxieties and fears and and stress that fill us all up. Um this book is also full of like some really interesting family dynamic. The voice of the book, Julia Tsuka writes the first part of the book is all like we we go to the pool, we do this. Sometimes we see our friend the banker and then we so it's like I don't know sec- second person plural or something I'm terrible mm-hmm. I'm not an English teacher not a Faulkner scholar um, but the writing style is so interesting I kind of tell people it's like an ex- mainstream experimental novel you know like how it's like not actually experimental but as far as like a mainstream published book that like gets a lot of you know eyes on it it's sort of like weird and different Um it's like the indie movie that is at the Oscars. You know what I mean? It's mm-hmm. like, okay, you made it to the Oscars. You're not that <laughs> fucking weird. But like, you're definitely weirder than Black Panther. Yeah. And I, I like can't tell everyone why I love it so much because I don't want to ruin anything. But it starts off weird and quirky and it gets to a place where you're like weeping and feel devastated. And it's so slim. It's like 200 pages, I think, tops. And it's just like... You know, sometimes when you read an author who's written a lot of books and you're like, I feel safe with this person because I can tell you're a professional writer and you understand how to tell a story. And like, I don't know what the fuck you're doing, but I feel like Mm -hmm. I want to come with you because you're a pro. Mm -hmm. That's the vibe that I had throughout that whole book. I was like, I don't know where this is going. I feel weird. I feel scared. I feel excited. But Julia Tsuka is giving me sentences on top of sentences that are just mind blowing. And it's just like, on a craft level so good on a story level so good love 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 and i love a 200 page book same oh my (laughs) gosh give me 200 pages if you can get it under 220 yeah i am your best friend yeah Uh, because that's how books used to be like i think of like a lot of like james baldwin books are so slim and Mm -hmm. like sula and 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 like giovanni's room i think is like yeah giovanni's yeah. yeah super slim and now it's like every book has to be 300 pages i'm like no no, it does not. You could just get an editor to get rid of yeah. a lot of those it's like, pages. I, it's for like all I have of to us. make my statement about America or whatever. That, yeah. you know? I'm yeah. like, no, do it quicker. Let's get yeah. a 30 minute sitcom situation. I do not need an hour drama, everybody. Uh, not yeah. everything's an hour drama. <laughs> okay, we're down to your. This is your last one, right? Yeah, this is your I think number so. one. Yeah, uh, yeah. My favorite book of the year um, is by Kate Beaton. It's oh my a, god, I just read this. Uh, ducks. Ducks. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, this okay, book fucked me it. up, bro. This book. <laughs> this book. <laughs> yeah, this book. Right, so it's a it's a graphic memoir. Um, I think people know her from Hark of Vagrant, mm-hmm. um, which I wasn't like a big fan of when when it was popping off in the webcomic world. Um, I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of her. Yeah. Um, but she, this is like a, I mean, all right, I was, <laughs> was going to reference like, this is like a pretty big book, but it's a graphic novel. So it's a little breezier than, yeah. <laughs> than like a second. I did it in one afternoon. <laughs> yeah, same, same, same. Um, yeah, and it's a, and it's about her and the two years she spent um, in a in a um, oil mine in in northern Canada, um, and I think it's such a honest and empathetic look at the sort of forces that uh, force people into laboring under these certain conditions. You know what I mean? Because mm. it sucks, right? This it's it's not a fun job, and she's surrounded by dudes, and a lot of like really tough stuff happens to her, um, and it would be so easy. For her to write something of a, a sort of like caricatured account, right, of her time there, um, mm-hmm. 
Because I actually, I, I did a profile of her when this came out, and then I was talking to a, another guy who wrote a book, you know, about about the Canadian, you know, oil miners. And, you know, they, they all talked about how there were, like, magazine pieces that would just focus on, like, everyone getting, like, hammered and going to the strip club and stuff like that. And, like, and doing drugs. And, and, and that stuff does exist. It does happen. But there's, like, so much more to it than that um, mm. that people often glossed over. And, and she gave, you know, these these people in her life a real, like, heart that i think makes you feel complicated about these like massive things that like yeah mining for oil is probably bad for the world right like we, yeah you know what i mean but but then it's like oh it's it's hard it, it, it just like talks about how like intractable it all is in, in our ecosystem yeah and what's really interesting about the book is like you said you know she's a woman and i think there's a part where she talks about being like one in 50 mm-hmm. women in these camps and like also just the she goes because she um, wants to pay off her student loans. Mm-hmm. She's like always been an artist, like wants to be a creative. I think she was like an art history major or something. But she's mm-hmm. like, that doesn't pay. I got to go like make money. And it's this really like capitalistic place. Like everyone's there to make money and like send money home. And that's mm-hmm. it. Like that's why they're there. They're all miserable. They all hate it. They're all like fucking up. And ultimately it's like just to make money and ruin the environment and it just brings up like questions like you're saying about that kind of stuff of like what is what is this what's happening here yeah and it's like it it follows i think there were like two years because remember there was that stretch yeah where like so a she lot says of- it's from 2005 to 2008 and mm-hmm. it's her two years, but there's one year where she like leaves and goes to a museum to work or something. Yeah. And then it finds out that like, oh, capitalism is bad here. Too. Yeah. She's yeah. like, oh, can't get away this from also it. sucks. But in a different yeah. way. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. No, but like I was there was like a stretch where I, you know, I had a friend or two who wanted to go to like North Dakota. Right. Um, oh. To go work for oil. Like that was a big thing. Like it was a, we there was a similar pattern in, in the States where like. You know, dudes just out of college, like, would go, would just go to North Dakota for, for, you know, mining for oil there. And it's like, oh, yeah, we, we, we have the same, we're just following I the didn't same know path. that. Yeah. yeah I'm yeah. not up on the oil camp community in mm-hmm. Northern America, obviously. <laughs> Yikes. I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a kind of icky, icky book. Yeah. Not like, not like, uh, grotesque or anything, but just kind of ma- leaves you feeling like, it's unsettling. It is, yeah. The ending yeah. is like, <laughs> yeah. The I won't ending, say, obviously say what yeah. the ending was, but yeah, the ending was, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. Um. All right. Here's my last pick. I hope this is the book you wrote down. All right, my two dollars. My down on this. number one best book of the year. For, I read it in January. It was the book to hold on to is South to America by Imani Perry. Yep, let the listener show I had this written down okay. in the doc in front of me that this was the yeah. nonfiction heater of the year, yeah. This is, okay, but did not make the New York Times most notable 100 books or Wait, their top 10. No, isn't that insane? What? I don't know why I'm fact-checking you right now. I'm just like looking at it. Uh, I read the list nine times because I was so stressed out about it. It made me so deeply upset. There were two other books that didn't make it that were National Book Award finalists, The Man Who Can Move Clouds and His Name is George Floyd. And I, I cannot get over it. I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive The New York Times for, for that those three books weren't on the top 100. Excuse uh-huh. me. Anyways. My book of the year is South to America by Imani Perry. <laughs> um, I I love this book. I've I have talked ad nauseum about this book since January. I have been recommending it. 
I what I love about this book is there are so many things to love, but what I love most about this book is that Imani Perry is a national treasure and her writing is so beautiful and she takes us with her on this weird journey through the American South but also it's a journey that only she could take us on like this book is so rooted in Imani Perry's brilliant mind and I love that for us like I love that you can't just like if someone else was like I'm writing a book about the American South and how it is you know impacts the rest of the nation I feel like it would be a really different book but Imani Perry was like no let's talk about like honey buns and let's Mm -hmm. talk about the different ways that you can say someone is like like you know like the different uses of language and let's talk about you know is Washington DC the south or not like let's have a whole chapter on that and let's go back and like find my ancestors and and let's talk about what it feels like to be in Alabama and how that feels like Mississippi and like why that feels like home and why when she meets someone from Mississippi they feel like home to her and like all these little tiny tiny points that she ties together just so beautifully and like it's like this web of she just like pull like it's, it's like when people do like a loom, you know, they're like mm-hmm. weaving on a loom and it's like you have like 900 colors and you're making a tapestry and it looks like nothing up close. And then you pull back and you're like, holy shit. But it's just like a few threads here and a few threads there and you're pulling it all in. And like only a real artist could make something so intricate and beautiful, you know, and someone else could like make a bath mat out of like a few colors. But like she's like giving you art and like I don't know. It's just... I can't even explain it. But I will say this about the book. The other thing I loved about this book is I found it challenging to read. Oh, really? And I feel like sometimes I, like a lot of people, want to read something that just feels like goes down really easy. And this book is like, it's not it's not hard. Like the topics are difficult because we're talking about the American South and race and all of these things in class. But it's like her writing is so complicated that you really have to like give it attention, which I loved. Like I love mm-hmm. not being able to phone it in with this book. Um, and I will say the first chapter, I could not figure out what the fuck I was reading. And then by the second or third chapter, I was like, oh, I get it. Which is something that happened to me similarly with the Hanif collection last year. Like mm-hmm. after the first essay, I was like, what is this book? And then as I got further in, I was like, oh, it like okay. teaches you how to read it. Kind exactly. Of. Yeah. And this yeah. book does the same thing. So for people who are picking it up, don't you got to you got to get through it. Keep going. Keep reading. It'll reveal itself to you. But this book to me was easily hands down the best thing that I read this year and probably one of the best books of the last five or 10 years for me. Did you listen to her um, speech at the of NBA? Of course. I watched it like a, five times. That was <laughs> so fantastic. Like, yeah. She's so fantastic. I mean, I had the pleasure of meeting her this year. And I said, I told her this to her face. I was like, you and actually, coincidentally, Hanif are two of the living writers right now that I'm like, oh, I'm so glad to be alive and reading this work as it's coming to us in real time. In the Mm -hmm. way that I think that people who like knew Toni Morrison felt that way, right? Mm -hmm. Like, oh, we're we're among someone someone really special. Like to me, she is our like great one of our great living writers, and to see this book, you know, be be published first of all because it is sort of like a proposal for this. I feel like could could get a lot of like I don't get it, but to Mm -hmm. see it be published and done executed so well, and then to actually receive the praise for the most part like it makes me so happy for Imani Perry because she's 
she's just she's deserving of the praise, you know? It's so funny that you you pair her with Hanif because like I agree with you and I understand what you're like these would be like the um like like remember when like writers would just go on like William F. Buckley show or whatever like that you know what I mean and like be like yeah. cultural figures like the, these are them these mm-hmm. are those those people of 2022 but they come from like such different such different backgrounds, backgrounds. Right? like yeah like she's like coming from like academia and in like history and stuff like that uh, and Hanif I I know of because I read his like essays about pop punk bands you know yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean yeah they do come from really different worlds and they're different generations I mean Imani I think just turned 50 and Hanif is like 35 or something, you know, Mm -hmm. like they're definitely different generations and, but they, they both are considering the world around them in, in unique ways, you know, like I I would love to do a project where you give like some of the best writers the same prompt and then Mm. like to see how Hanif and Imani would write about X, Y, Z, you know, like, I think that would be so cool because their brains are so different and so exciting and like, and, and you know, we did Breathe by Imani Perry on the Stacks as a Book Club pick in 2020. And that's her letter to her sons. It's like a, you know, it's like kind of like a memoir, but in letter form. And and that book, is she does a similar thing where she pulls all these different ideas together. And like the fact that she can do it in an academic way, she can do it in a personal way, she can do it in sort of this blend way with South to America. It's just... Ugh, it's, too, it's too much talent for my brain to handle. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's our top ten. We did yeah. it. We did this, it, everybody. You, you normally like lean heavily more on nonfiction, right? I do normally lean nonfiction, but in the past, I feel like I've always had at least one or two fictions on the list. Uh-huh. This year, I think is the only year I've only had just. I think the last few years I've had two. Um, I think this is the only year I've had just the one. Interesting. Um, but. You know, staying true to myself, having a lot of nonfiction. <laughs> and the poetry that I picked is very nonfiction-y. It doesn't feel fiction-y at all. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I, that's why I have to bring someone else in to help me because otherwise it would be all nonfiction and people okay, would be okay, so okay, bad. I felt bad. I was like, oh man, I only have like one nonfiction. <laughs> no, like, it's great. So I, I feel like, like I can handle oh, the let nonfiction. me find out some other nonfiction books I like this. <laughs> <laughs> no, you had two because you had Elite Capture and you had Kate Beaton. Oh, right. I guess, yeah, that counts as Mount. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Sure, sure. And right, we got right. graphic on here. I feel like we got a really good, like, diverse list. We have something in translation. We have poetry. We have graphic. We have novels. We have uh, sort of essay-y. We also we have, have novels that are kind of very graphic. <laughs> we have graphic. Yeah, we have grotesque and graphic. I feel like we did good. Yeah. Um, well, we have a few more minutes. Do you have any um, books that you're really excited about for 2023? The the one book I'm I'm very looking forward to reading that's on that's on my shelf right now um, is called Ringmaster um, by Abe Reisman. It's a it's a biography of Vince McMahon, um, oh. who runs like the WWE. And she Abe Abe she she comes from I think she comes from New York Mag. She wrote a, like one of the great um, biographies of Stan Lee. Um, she also did a profile of like Steve Ditko, which is who was one of the artists who co-created Spider Man who's this sort of like libertarian mysterious shadow figure. Um, and so I trust, I trust her what she's doing with, with ringmaster. You know what I mean? This isn't wow. just any judgment writing a Vince McMahon back for you. And like, as I'm, I'm 33 okay. and rest and I was never a big wrestling fan, but I think it's undeniable considering our recent political history, mm-hmm. how like the energy and language of professional wrestling is imbued in America, you know, and how we mm. talk about pretty much everything. 
Um, and so, and I think there's just like fascinating things that you, you can break. You can break the WWE down about like gender and race. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. There's, <laughs> there's just like I have this distinct memory in my mind of um, there there used to be this thing that like kids would do in when I was in elementary school that came from wrestling, which is like they like I don't even know how to describe it. Um, they like put their their hands on on their like groin and go like suck it. <laughs> Oh yeah, sure. Right? I don't know. Yeah, sure. I like think cro- you could... like cro- like you cross your yeah, arms. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think everyone can imagine what I'm what the movement I'm doing. Yeah, it's like it's like why were we all doing that? Why were all the kids? I was scared. We're going to bully me. Does that come me? from wrestling? I th- I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Oh my god, I, like, I know nothing that comes from about the Degeneration X or whatever. Um, and you know, there there's just like you know, arguably one of our biggest movie stars, right? Dwayne Johnson comes from wrestling sure. and and all that. And I, and I think it's such an interesting world to break down that i'm excited to chew into oh my gosh wait now that's on my list of most anticipated i haven't turned i i write a column every year about my most anticipated books and i'm adding that to mine because i don't know anything about wrestling but if it's a person who can write smartly about a topic i know nothing about then i'm all in Mm -hmm. um i have a handful of books that i'm really excited about there i should start with there's a bunch of books coming from people who have been like past guests and favorites on the podcast. Brandon Taylor has a new book. Samantha Irby has a new book. Clint Smith has a new collection of poetry. Nicole Chung has a new book. A book that I'm really excited about from a past guest is uh, Chain Gang All-Stars by Nana Kwame Ajay Brenya, who wrote Friday Black. Um, and this is about like a group of women, I think, who I, I, I hate to read about books before they come out. So I'm like, I don't really know what it's about. But I know it's about a group of women in prison who are like, fighting each other like like for sport um Mm -hmm. so i'm excited about that because nana writes like such dark twisted fun stuff so that's one that i'm really excited about and then there's a book that funnily enough a member of the stacks pack rosamond told me about called the writers come out at night by ali winston and darwin bond graham and it's uh an examination into the oakland police department and all their scandals and i'm from oakland um so this is one of my personal like things i'm i'm obsessed like with. like the one that Scandal. nightcrawler's about yes I, it's about all of the there's so many there's other scandals on there's, top there's, of a, that, there's a lot to choose but from, that's yeah. part of it yeah so it's like the non-fiction version of Nightcrawling and some, but apparently Allie Winston and Darwin Bond Graham have been writing about the Oakland Police Department for Bay Area publications for years. And so it's their kind of like they put all of this together to like do a whole thing. And the cover is like this fantastic shot of the Bay Area at night or Oakland at night. And I'm just like, I cannot wait. It comes out in January and I haven't fully started reading 2023 books as of recording, but Mm -hmm. As of the time people hear this, I'll probably have already read the book, so I'll have thoughts. But that's one that's really high on my list. And then also um, Matthew Desmond, who wrote Evicted, has a new book coming out called Poverty by America. Yeah. So I'm curious about that. I liked Evicted. I didn't love Evicted. A lot of people thought it was like the greatest thing ever. It won the Pulitzer. But I'm really curious about this one because I think he's a fantastic writer. Mm -hmm. So those are just like a handful of books that are coming that I'm excited about. But again, I just I this year, for whatever reason, I feel like I'm not as on the pulse. I'm not I haven't quite gotten on the pulse of 2023 yet. I feel like mm-hmm. last year I knew like going into 2023 when we did this last year, I was like or 2022. I was like, I have to read South to America. I think it's good. Like I like, you know, like I knew I it was on my call. Like, you know, sometimes you just know what books are coming and you're like so excited. And this year mm-hmm. it's a smaller batch for me. But a lot of people who have been on the show are coming out with 
second, third, fourth books that I'm just like, cannot wait. So yeah. Um, Any predictions for what we can expect in 2023? Any trends you think we might see? Uh, In complete honesty. So like my partner is about to have a kid. So like my book reading has been like, how to be a good birthing birthing partner. You know what I mean? Like, just like how to not like fuck up your kid. (laughs) And that's the book that, Um, uh, but to to bring it back to what we were talking about, I kind of, you know what I'm kind of hoping to see? Here's what I'm hoping to see. People sort of like three years late on the book talk game, sort of like begrudgingly doing it. And you can tell, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, what I mean? that'll be me. That's going to be yeah. me. You're going to see me on Buck I want to see like, like Cormac McCarthy be like, oh, yeah. well, <laughs> you know, <what> I mean? <laughs> so weird. Um, I love that. Wait, when is your uh, offspring due? Uh, February. Oh, my um, gosh. So, so yeah. exciting. So exciting. So, yeah, I, my reading might take a big hit, but we'll see. <laughs> You'll be surprised. It might not. I had twins in 2019 and I still powered through. Um, So, you know, and I did read a bunch of those parenting books, but you can skip a lot of them. Okay. We'll yeah. talk offline. I'll give you, okay, I'll give you yeah. my few recs. Totally, um, yeah. Okay. Well, this was so fun. Andrew Limbong, the host of NPR's Book of the Day. You can catch that show every day, except for Saturday uh-huh. and Sunday, weekdays. Yep. And if you've never listened, you'll you all should go through the back catalog because there are so many freaking episodes with people that we've had on the show, friends of the podcast, like Brandon Kyle Goodman is on, um, Kamala Shamsi. Um, and also it's like such a great way to get, you know, nine, 10 minutes snippet about a book that maybe you're curious about. You're not sure if you want to invest time in it. You'll get these little spoiler-free snippet interviews from all of your favorite voices at NPR, like Alyssa Chang does them, who I love. Um, so definitely, definitely, definitely check out the show. Andrew, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having me. This is loads of fun. Yeah. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. All right, y'all, that does it for us today. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you again to Andrew Limbong for joining us. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to Emma Gordon for helping to make this episode possible. The Saks Book Club pick for December is True Biz by Sarah Novich. We will be discussing the book on Wednesday, December 28th with our guest, Greta Johnson. If you love the show and want inside access to it, head to patreon.com slash the stacks to join the stacks pack. Make sure you're subscribed to the stacks wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you're listening through Apple podcasts or Spotify, be sure to leave us a rating and a review for more from the stacks. Follow us on social media at the stacks pod on Instagram and at the stacks pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, the stacks This episode of the stacks was edited by Christian Duenas with production assistance from Lauren Tyree. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tegiris. The stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas. Thomas.